Welcome to the tape ministry of Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, whose mission is to present everyone mature in Christ. It is our desire that the tapes of these services and messages from God's Word will touch lives deeply and encourage a closer walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you wish to contact the church for any reason, please phone us at 253-851-7779 or write us at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, Post Office Box 829, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Now may God richly bless you as you join the people of Chapel Hill in worshiping the Lord and listening to the good news of Jesus Christ. very often say it again hallelujah for the last few weeks we have been living in the fourth and fifth chapter of revelation as we bring ourselves to the glorious evening that we will celebrate in a few days christmas eve as we bring ourselves to the time of the birth of christ and i want to review with you what we have been talking about as we prepare ourselves for advent As you recall, the door has been thrown open and the seer, John, the Apostle John, has an opportunity to catch a glimpse of heaven. And what he sees is, well, a throne and a throne surrounded by thrones, a throne surrounded by creatures who bow down in worship. And, of course, the center of the piece is the one who sits on the throne. We never hear his name. He is never called God, but we are led to understand that that is exactly who it is. And and so in the glory of that moment in the color that radiates forth from the throne, in the singing that radiates forth, emanates forth from those who are gathered around the throne, we have a glimpse of the first theme that I want us to capture. What is that? What is it that we see of God? His holiness. Say it. The holiness of God. Oh, have you all... How many have been here anywhere but today? The holiness of God. So first of all, we see the holiness of God. And grasped firmly in God's right hand is a scroll. And John sees that and he realizes that within those seals, for there are seven seals on the scroll, within those seals is the unfolding of all of human history. And John is eager to catch a glimpse of what is inside of that. Just like every human being, we we want to know what does the future hold? What does the future hold for me? What part do I play in all of that? And suddenly John realizes that There is no one coming forward to open that scroll because an angel calls out and says, Who is worthy to break these seals and open the scroll? And John looks around with eager anticipation and discovers no one is found worthy. And we read the despairing of the apostle as he says, I wept and wept, for no one was found worthy to open the scroll. So we see the holiness of God and then we see the helplessness, the hopelessness of humankind. Say, Holiness. Say hopelessness. And then next week is, the, is the, the, what we dealt with last week. John is weeping and suddenly one of the elders whose, whose creative intent was to stand before God and sing praises pauses in the midst of that praise and turns to him and says, Stop crying, for there is one who is worthy. The Lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. He has won the victory, and he is going to open the scroll. And so John's tears cease, and he turns with eagerness to see this great victorious lion who has won the victory and is going to open the scroll. And to his amazement, he sees not a lion, but what? A lamb. 
A lamb that it says looks as if it has just been slain. A lamb with its throat cut from ear to ear with blood streaming down its, its breast. And songs break out in praise to this lamb for it is the lamb who is worthy. The lamb takes the scroll for the lamb alone is the one who has bought our healing. By the purchase of his blood, the shed blood of this lamb, who as we understand clearly to be Jesus. The angels, the creatures that are gathered around the Lord say, you alone are worthy because you have shed your blood and you have purchased our lives. You have purchased the lives of all of humankind. And so we have the holiness of God, the hopelessness of humankind, and then we have our healing. Say healing. But there was one thing that we didn't look at. In fact, there are several aspects of the, this wonderful image of the sacrificial Lamb of God that we didn't look at uh, this last week. And I want to return to that today. For we're going to discover that when the Lamb reaches out to take the scroll from God, all hallelujah breaks loose. And today we talk about hallelujah. Say them all with me now. Hopelessness. Holiness. Hopelessness. Healing. And hallelujah. Let's read our text together. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll. Or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb to be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down. And worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now God, call forth from our hearts hallelujahs as we catch this glorious glimpse of who you are and what your Son, our precious Lamb of God, has done for us. Call forth from our lips and from our hearts hallelujahs. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
That is some good stuff in there. I hope you were paying attention. Don't ever read scriptures blasé thinking, okay, we'll get through this and now we get to the important stuff. This is the important stuff. Last week we left ourselves kind of mid-stride with this beautiful sacrificial lamb who stands there looking at them with his throat slit from ear to ear, bleeding. But there's more about him that we did not have a chance to talk to. Did you notice some of the things that are a little unusual about this particular lamb? Well, he has seven what? And he has seven what? That's reasonably odd. Wouldn't you agree? Most of us haven't seen a lamb like that except at the county fair in Yakima. (laughs) They were making big money off that lamb too. And he wasn't alive, I assure you. So what is all this about? Remember that we are looking at apocalyptic literature. This is as much cartoon and MTV as it is scripture. It's all wrapped together. It is more picture than words. And so if you try to explain everything, you're going to be a little frustrated. But we do need to try to delve into this and understand what is this image of this lamb who stands there. His throat is slit, but he has seven horns and seven eyes. What does that mean? Well, throughout Revelation, you're going to see an interest in numbers. Numbers are used again and again and again. Four is used frequently. Six is used frequently. We'll discuss what those mean later on. But this moment, I want to stop and tell you that every time you read the word in seven in Revelation, and in fact, any time in Scripture, it stands for completeness. Perfection. Do you understand? Completeness and perfection. So, we see seven horns, seven eyes. What do the horns represent? Every time you read horn in the Scripture, you should understand that to mean power. In Deuteronomy 33, when Moses is talking to the tribes, he speaks of Joseph and says, you are uh, like a young bull who has been born, and you have horns like a wild ox. And with that horn, with those horns, you will gore all of the nations, even to the ends of the earth. It is an indication of power. In Daniel's vision in chapter 7, the fourth beast, the great beast, has ten horns. It, it is, and again, it's an in, imitation, indication of power, of great might. So, you have seven horns. What would that tell you? It is perfect power. Irresistible might. So when you're looking at this Lamb of God who on the surface of it appears to be simply a little lamb with its throat cut. You see these seven horns, the first thing you should think of, this lamb has irresistible power. He has perfect might. And then you see he has seven eyes. What do the eyes represent? Eyes always represent knowing, wisdom, knowledge. Why? Because the more you see, the more you know. Remember the beasts, that the creatures that are before God, worshiping Him? They are covered with eyes, which seems to indicate even though they can see everywhere and know everything, what do they choose to do by their creation? They, they worship the Lord. Because knowing all, they know the best thing they can do is bow down in worship before the Lord. The, the Lamb of God has not only seven, seven horns, it also has seven eyes, which means perfect wisdom. So, suddenly, this image that is before us is even more confusing. For although it appears to be gentle and lowly, it is a little lamb, remember? It has seven horns, seven eyes. And so this gentle, lowly lamb, in fact, is the all-powerful one. He is the all-knowing one. We better not underestimate this little lamb. What a combination. Perfect power, perfect wisdom. But there's more. John, when John turns to look at the lion, where does he discover that the land is standing? Look at your text. What does it say? At the center of what? 
at the center of the throne. At the center of the throne. Now you might say, well, that's an odd way to put it. It must mean that he was standing in the front of the, of the throne, surrounded by all of the creatures. And in fact, that is true. He is surrounded by the creatures. But this is very clear. The text says, that not that he was standing in front of the throne, in the center of everyone. The text says he was standing in the center of the throne. Now what's the problem with that? Someone else is already in the throne, right? Has he left the throne? No, because only moments from now, the lamb reaches out and takes the scroll from the one who sits on the throne. And so we have this dizzying image of God who sits on the throne, and suddenly the lamb of God appears. He also is standing in the center of the throne. And we have a wonderful image of the lamb of God who springs forth from the very center of the being of God. Do you see that? This is not someone who's just been assigned to do a task. The Lamb of God is not an assignment of God. He is God himself springing forth from the very center of the one who sits on the throne. He turns and he sees the Lamb of God seated on the throne. I want you to remember, this is picture. This is sacred cartoon. It is tough to get all of this together, but it is making a great point. And here's the first point of the day. The point of this text is the absolute centrality of Jesus. The absolute centrality of the Lamb. It is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who saves humanity through the purchase of His perfect blood. It is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is worthy to open the scroll that no one else might touch. It is Jesus, the Lamb of God, whom we discover somehow standing in the center of the throne, even as God the Father still occupies that throne. It is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who somehow springs forth from the very center of the being of God the Father. While every other living creature is sprawled out on its face before the throne, it is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who dares to reach out and take the scroll from the hand of Almighty God. It is Jesus who is perfectly powerful. It is Jesus who is perfectly wise. The central message of this, the central message of the Christmas story, the central message of the Christian faith is the absolute centrality of Jesus Christ. You move him off to the periphery and you have lost the core of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the story. Jesus Christ is salvation. Jesus Christ is history. He is God's pre-creative plan. Jesus Christ is the absolute center of everything. But there's more. In case you haven't had enough. What happens to the worship? What happens to the worship when the Lamb takes the scroll? Did you notice? The worship changes focus. Did you see it? Look in your text if you haven't. The worship changes focus. Up until now, who is it that has been the recipient of the worship of the creatures? The one on the throne. God on the throne. But look what happens in verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down, what? Before the Lamb. These creatures were created to worship God for all of eternity. For all of eternity they have bowed down at the word of the four creatures that were before God. And all of the elders prostrate themselves and bow to God. That is what they have been doing, declaring the glory of God. Suddenly they stop. The scroll is taken by the Lamb. And suddenly the creatures fall down and begin to worship. Not the one in the throne, but the Lamb who stands at the center of the throne. This is a big deal. Here we have the great next theme of this text. We have the centrality of Jesus, and now we have celebration. Celebration. 
This is heavenly celebration. And it is fascinating to me, I hope to you, for several reasons. First of all, because as I said, the the attention of the worship shifts from God to the Lamb. Imagine that. Who would dare receive worship in the presence of God on his throne? Who would dare receive worship at any time knowing God is on the throne? But the Lamb does. The Lamb receives that worship. Not only that, that's not all that's significant about it. Notice, what kind of a song does it tell us it is? What kind of song is it? It's a new song. Imagine that. None of the songs that have been sung to the one who is on the throne is good enough. Suddenly, the Lamb of God, who is being worshipped by all the singing creatures, he has to have a new song. And why not? For the Lamb has done something that no one has ever done before. It was the Lamb who left heaven. It was the Lamb who sacrificed himself to purchase humankind. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation was purchased for God by the blood of the Lamb. He not only set them free, he transformed them into royalty. It says they became kings, they became priests serving God. Who but the Lamb has done such things? Not even God the Father. Not even God the Father has done such things. Of course a new song must be written, for there is no song worthy to be sung to the Lamb who stands at the center of the throne. None would be adequate. So the worship shifts, they begin to sing praise to the Lamb, and they sing a new song. But that's not all. I feel like a guy on TV selling, but wait, (laughs) there's more. Do you notice how the worship broadens? Do you notice how the worship broadens? Who is worshiping in verse 8? Who is worshiping in verse 8? The creatures and the elders. The creatures and the elders. Well, now that wouldn't be a bad worship band as it were. But suddenly, in verse 11, a new chorus of voices is added. Listen, then I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and began to sing. Last Tuesday night, we had a taste of this glory. We who were here for the Lighthouse Christmas concert, they just came on and on, one row after another of beautiful little angels from Lighthouse Christian School. And my, how they sang, about 200 of them. Now try, try to imagine thousands upon thousands. And then he pauses, he said, no, that doesn't do it. Let me look again. Cleans off his glasses, looks again. No, it's 10,000 upon 10,000 of angels. And what are they doing? They're circling the throne. Can you imagine what it must be like? Here's the throne, the Lamb of God, the one who sits on the throne, the four creatures before him, the 24 elders who bow down and praise around him, and then, as far as the eye can see, all of the way around the throne of God are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. They are all aimed inward. They are all singing praises. Amen. Do you remember the... You remember the, uh, I just thought of this, the, car, the commercial where the guy used to sit in his easy chair and the speakers were <laughs> blowing him back. I mean, that must have been what John must have experienced. And the glory of rank upon rank of creatures, of angelic beings, all turned inward, singing at the top of their lungs their praises to God. 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise, they sang. Every good thing that could be ascribed to the Lamb, they sang it and said, you are worthy to receive it all. It was glorious. It was deafening. It was overwhelming. It was a chorus for the eternities. Then you think, well, what is left? But wait. How could it get more glorious than that? Well, it does. Verse 13. Then he says, if that's not enough, then I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever And the four living creatures can't help it. They say, Amen. And all of the elders fell down again and worshiped God. Now, if that doesn't give you a a little bit of goosebump action, you got to wake up. That is a glory moment. Every mammal, every reptile, every bird, every fish, every human being all joined with the, the heavenly chorus in singing praises to God. The Apostle Paul says that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here we catch a glimpse of that moment that Paul only dreamt about. Do you see why this is so perfect for Christmas? Christmas is the season for song. Christmas is the singing season. One of my laments about Easter is there really aren't that many great Easter hymns. It's kind of surprising to me. You would think that the central experience of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, would have more great hymns. But after Christ the Lord is risen today and up from the grave he arose, that's about it. You can do them in different order. You can do less verses, more. But that's about it. You don't use those. You haven't sung about Easter. Christmas, just choose. Just take your pick. This is the season for singing praise to God. The season for singing praise to the one who comes forth from the very core of the being of God the Father. And in two great chapters, we have the greatest concert that the world has ever heard. That eternity, that heavens have ever heard. You have the centrality of Jesus, and you have this glorious celebration. And then there's one more thing. The text also, I believe, offers certainty. Certainty for the future. Remember that scroll? The one whose seals only the Lamb was worthy to break open? Next year, 2000, as we begin to continue, as we continue to preach through Revelation, we begin to break those uh, those seals open. Together with John, we will watch as the seals are broken. And frankly, we're going to discover some very frightening things. there are many who are scared that the very turn of the millennium itself is going to usher in some of the horrors that are spoken of in the breaking of these seals. And if just the breaking of the seals is that horrific, what must the scroll itself say? What awesome, overwhelming words will be heard as they are read by the Lamb from the scroll, by, by the Lamb from the scroll that he is alone worthy to open. You know what? We never find out. The scroll is never read. After all this, the seals are broken, but the scroll is never read. It remains firmly in the possession of the Lamb of God. The 
unfolding of human history remains firmly in the possession of the Lamb of God who has purchased our lives with His blood. Here is one more great comfort I think we can take from this text. It is the certainty of God's future. We have no idea what the future might hold. We have no idea what will happen the minute the clock strikes midnight on January 1. Worldwide catastrophe? I doubt it. But we don't know. Simply a whimper? I doubt that. But we don't know. Because it is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who holds the scroll. And the future of the world rests securely in his hands. And every time we have tried to pry it out of his grip, Jesus has resisted. When he was with the disciples on earth, they said, Well, Lord, what are the signs? How will we know? And he says, Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It will come like a thief in the night. And you never know when a thief in the night is coming. So what do you do? You prepare. You be ready. You live every day as if I might return. Because I am not going to tell you. As a matter of fact, right now I don't even know. Only the Father knows. They didn't get the point. Later, as Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to the Father after his resurrection, one more time they thought, we'll ask it a different way. Maybe Jesus will forget that he told us he's not going to tell us. He said, Lord, they said, Lord, is it at this time that you will restore your kingdom? And Jesus, even in, 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 in sharper words, says, this is none of your business. It is not for you to know, he says. But here's what you will do. You'll go back and you'll wait for my spirit to come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. (coughs) Every time we try to pry the scroll out of the hands of the lamb, the lamb says, it's none of your business. Your job is to be faithful right now in this moment. I may give you hints. I may give you snippets of what is to come, but I will not unfold it for you because I want you to be on the edge of your seat. I want you to be on your toes. I want you to live as if I might come back tomorrow. And you will never know until I am there before you. Beware the people who have the timeline. Beware the ones who unfold for you in the exact time of Jesus' return because Jesus says it will be a surprise So just about the time everyone's saying he must be coming is about the time I would say, "Uh -uh, there's no chance he's coming right now. He's going to come as a surprise. Jesus has continually resisted the temptation of us to know what the future might be. We are closing in on a new millennium. The clock is ticking. The ball is falling. And this particular moment in history may be hugely significant, maybe not. In our own minds, at least it is. But this text repeats suddenly what Jesus said so clearly while he was on earth. Do not worry. Just be ready. Do not worry. Just be ready. Follow me. Worship me. Trust me. I hold the future. I alone. I who have all the power. I who have all of the wisdom. I to whom all of the heavenly beasts and creatures bow and worship. I who share the throne with God the Father himself. Your future is in my hands. Is that good enough for you? Who am I to you? I am your Savior. I am your sacrificial lamb. I have already demonstrated my trustworthiness, my reliability, in that I poured out my life's blood for you. I have conquered the great enemy of humankind death and the devil, and there's nothing left for me to prove. Now, will you believe me or not? Will you trust me or not? 
Will you relax in the certainty of the future that belongs to me or not? And I say yes. There was a group of seminary students who played basketball regularly at a local high school gym near the seminary. They would throw their jackets over in the corner and they would play for an hour. And while they played, the, the, the janitor, who was a gracious man who allowed them to play, he would sit over there and watch their jackets and grab one of their Bibles and he would read for the hour that they were there. This really happened. This is a true story. One day, one of the seminarians asked the janitor after their basketball game, so what have you been reading? Revelation, he said. One of the seminarians began to chuckle. Yeah, right. See, his seminary professor had told him that no one really understands this book. And so the seminarian asked this undereducated janitor, he said, do you understand what it is you're reading? Oh, yes, the man said. The seminarian chuckled again, looked at his other friends, and he says, okay, tell me what it means. And the janitor looked around the room. He leaned over to the seminarian and whispered in his ear, it means Jesus gonna win. <laughs> Jesus gonna win. What is there left to say? What but the words of the ages, the only word that is the same word in every language on earth, the only appropriate word of response to the glorious hope that is ours this Christmas Sunday and every day of our lives. Jesus going to win. What is the response we say with the angels and all of the creation? Hallelujah. Say it with me. Hallelujah. Say it again. Hallelujah. One more time. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. As the ushers come forward. Our feeble voices, our pitch might be not quite true, but this day we have caught a glimpse of heaven. We have found our imagination stirred by what it must be like to listen as all of your glorious creation surrounds your throne and directs their praise to the center. And they say, worthy is the Lamb to receive glory, honor, power, wisdom, might, and all of the rest of the good things. God, you have it all. You need nothing from us, and yet you invite our participation in your great plan. You know our needs as a church. You know our needs as a ministry. You know our needs as human beings. And so, God, right now, we're going to give some of ourselves to you in the form of our money. Would you please give us hearts that delight in this giving? Would you please view our gifts as another way of our saying, Hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for who and what you are. For we offer these prayers up in the name of the sacrificial Lamb of God who is risen and reigns with you in glory. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
the first Noel the angels did say to certain shepherds asleep as they lay in fields where they lay and keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so And saw a star, star, star shining. 